Welcome again to HarmonaCast, the podcast for harmonica players featuring conversations with great harp players. I'm Bob Kessler, the harpist who created this show, and this week, someone who I was really excited to meet and have been a longtime admirer of, Karen Mantler, who came to Chicago from New York, where she lives. But we'll get to Karen's conversation in a little bit. But first, I want to tell you, I'm launching, have launched, a Kickstarter campaign. I'm calling it Get My Ass to Nashville. Now, here's why I want to get to Nashville. Charlie McCoy, Jelly Roll Johnson, and Buddy Green. The three of the greatest players of all time, and they're all based in Nashville. Found out really just within days, even hours of each other, that these three guys would be willing to come on to Harmonicast. In the case of Charlie, I don't think he does much touring anymore. Buddy Green, he does tour, but I didn't want to do something where I just have to squeeze him in. Jelly Roll Johnson, I also don't think he tours too much. So really the best way to have these conversations, I've determined, is in person. Yes, occasionally I do Skype, but that's if like they live in Germany, like Steve Baker or the UK. Peter Hope Evans, who doesn't really travel too much. So the only way to talk to those guys was to use Skype. But when I can do it in person, I think that's always best. And yeah, there's a lot of people in Chicago I can talk to, and they're wonderful, but we're talking about three legends here. Charlie McCoy, Jelly Roll Johnson, and Buddy Green. So I'm asking for people's contributions, and that'll cover me to head down to Nashville, cover my meals and accommodations and stuff, and I have the budget all laid out on the Kickstarter page, and as you can see, it's nothing too extravagant. I'm just asking for people to help me cover the basics, and then I'll put them out as premium content in early December. So I got a Kickstarter campaign. If you go to my website, bobkesslerharmonica.com, there are links there, and there's more information on that, and if you've contributed so far, you have my deepest gratitude. All right, let's get to this week's conversation. It's Karen Mantler. She does wonderful music. She plays harmonica, but she also sings, plays piano, organ, originally glockenspiel. And her songs are incredibly personal, wonderful writing, wonderful melodies, great use of harmony, kind of quirky and idiosyncratic, you might say. But I've always found a great deal of enjoyment in her records. She came out with a new one two years ago called Business is Bad, and we talk about that. And she was in town because of her mother. Her mother is Carla Blay, the great jazz composer, arranger, and pianist. And so Karen was here when her mom was going to play Chicago Jazz Fest, and that's where I caught up with her, downtown Chicago at WGN Radio Studios. WGN posts this podcast at WGNplus.com, so thanks to them for doing that and for letting us use the studio. So let's get into the conversation. Karen Mantler came by and handed me a stack of CDs that she's on, some from her mother, Carla Blay, and then one of her own that's been very, very hard to find. Karen Mantler's Pet Project Bootleg Special Edition, when was this supposed to come out? Well, it did come out. It came out on Virgin Classics, and it was uh, two th- uh, and But... Well, it was my big break. I got, you know, I finally major got label. signed by a major label. But what that means is that they paid for the production costs and then they disappeared and they didn't promote it. And uh, the guy who gave me the money got fired. And uh, that band really never worked. We played a couple of gigs and it was too large. Uh, it was like nine people. 
And these are a lot of people that you've been playing with for a long time. Eric Mingus, who's, is he Charles Mingus' son? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Michael Evans yeah. and Arturo Farrell and Hiram, the late Hiram Bullock. Your mother, Carla Blay. Steve Swallow produced it. So Yeah, it, you was, know, it's, it was a really good record, but uh, in the end I decided being on a small family-run label works out better than being on a large major label because people actually care about the record. And when you say family-run, that's like your actual... Well, my mother has a record label called Watt, and then she started another subsidiary called Extra Watt for me, basically for me and Steve Swallow, because Watt only has her records and my father's records. So it's a family business. And I really want to know what it was like growing up in such a musical family as yours. Was music just kind of everywhere all the time? As it says in your bio, you were conceived at the Newport Jazz (laughs) Festival, so it starts from there, or... Yeah. What, what role did music have in your in your growing up? Well, both my parents were musicians, so uh, I was always in the recording studio and at the clubs and being uh, brought around on tours. And yeah, it was it was all music. Even from like tiny infant age, were you on tour? Yes, when my mo- when I was a baby. I was brought on the jazz realities tour or whatever. In fact, there's a very famous story that my mother checked me with the coat check girl <laughs> uh, who agreed to do it, but then uh, it was somehow somebody saw there was a baby in the coat check room and made a big stink about it, and it was in the papers next day, like, horrible mother checks her child in the coat room. <laughs> Scandalous. It turned out all right. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I was, I mean, I also went to regular school, and at certain points in my life, they just sort of left me at home or left me with another family of, you know, my friend's family. But when I was 10, she said, well, you, you know, we can't just carry you around. You've got to learn to be useful, so we'll teach you an instrument. So I started playing glockenspiel in her band. When you were 10? So yeah. it's like mid-70s? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, 76. So that's when she had a 10-piece band, and so I played glockenspiel. The whole set? Band. Yeah, well, but you know how glockenspiel is. It's like you sit there and count bars, and then you play like two notes at the very end or something. You know? But it taught <laughs> you a lot by doing that to how to work I learned silence. how to count. Yeah. I really learned how to count. <laughs> And did your mother ever sit down and, and give you, you know, proper formal lessons? Was that ever part of it? Yeah, I learned how to read music before I learned how to read English. Really? Yeah, I started right away, like three or four. Yeah. And uh, then I, you know, I learned, well, I after glockenspiel, when I got to be around 12 or 13, I became, um, uh, you know, when I was a teenager, I started being less submissive and getting into trouble and at that point I got fired from the band for a few years but by when I was 17 I had been working with bands of my own and I had learned how to play organ and she brought me back into the band this time as the organ player so then I was touring for many years with her big band you know the thing that I notice about your stuff and I think your mother's too is there's this kind of harmonic sure-footedness that I hear. Is that something you, that's just in the DNA? 
or I mean, that's not the only thing to listen for, but that's one thing I notice. I mean, did you sit down and have proper lessons and like, well, we're going to learn about chords today? Well, my mother didn't actually know anything. She was self-taught, and uh, I think that's why she's unique is that she wasn't uh, really educated. She just heard this music, and she was a little different. She heard things differently, and she just was uh, sheltered enough to enable her to not uh, be changed and learn cliches. And so I was the same. She always impressed on me that it was important to be original. Um, and I fought, you know, well, now it's now we're both more educated. But when I was younger, I would say, you know, I had piano teachers or whatever, and they'd t- want to teach me the blues. And I'd say, no, I'm, I'm not playing the blues. That's a cliche. And why should I play the blues? I'm, you know, I'm not from the South, and I'm not black. And of course, later on, I realized that it's helpful to know uh, the history of music and um, all the standard chord progressions and all that, yeah. which all ties to church music. And my mother, she'd learned through church. You know, her father was a church organist. So was her mother. And so she learned. They had her, you know, working in the church when she was a kid. But later on, Steve Swallow was uh, more involved with both of us living with Carla. They've lived together a long time. And he is very well educated about harmony and chord changes. And we started asking him, well, what, what is this? See this stack of notes? What is that? And he, he really taught Carla a lot and then and me also. And he produced a lot of my records. So... We both owe him uh, a lot. And, I mean, for people who don't know, I think that your mother, Carla Blay, is like one of the most important jazz composers, arrangers in the last 50 years. I mean, her music changed my life, as we were talking about before. I learned to play clarinet because of the tune Jesus Maria that she wrote and the, the record by Jimmy Jufri. Mm-hmm. Fusion or Thesis, I forget which one. Wow. And Steve Swallow plays bass on that one. Yeah. And her one-time husband, Paul Blay, is a piano player. So did you know that about her growing up? I mean, that's my opinion. I think it's, it, it, I'm not the only one who feels that way about her and her work. Well, you know, it's, uh, it's funny because, you know, she's very famous among a certain select few. Yeah. Criminally then, <laughs> not known in the U.S., I think. I mean, it's she's playing the Chicago Jazz Fest. That's why you're here. And it's like, I don't remember the last time she was ever in Chicago. No, she years. was always working in Europe and, and very yeah. popular in Europe. But the States, really nothing. I mean, just here and there. Uh, now that she's turned 80, somehow that has yeah. made her, you She know, got the NEA thing. Right? Yeah, she yeah. got this Jazz Masters Award and... Somehow she fits into that box that American commerce needs. You know, she, 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 they must have had a quota for 80-year-old women that year or something. Yeah. hate to say. Um, but, yeah, she, if, you know, if anybody who has listened to a lot of jazz sort of knows, I mean, I would say it's like uh, there's Gil Evans and then Carla yeah. sort of the next one after that, you know, and, along the same lines, and she really has always pushed the envelope of of music and harmony, and she's never sort of repeated herself. She's always striving to 
to do the next thing. Yeah, has she made a bad record yet? I don't think that's happened. Well, I, I don't think so. <laughs> and neither of you. We're not here just to talk about your mother. I mean, you've also come up with your own unique vision. And to me, it seems really authentic to, do, to who you are. And harmonica is part of that. So that's kind of the reason, too, that I wanted to talk to you. When did harmonica get involved? When I was in high school, you know, I played clarinet, too, when I was in, you know, very young. Um, but I would get into trouble because I would complain about the repertoire. You know, we would be playing, like, Oklahoma or something, or Barry Manilow, or, um, and I was always piping up and saying, this is crap. You know, we need some decent jazz charts in here. My mother's and, Carla Blay. And uh, so the music teacher hated me, and I I got... You know, the combination of quit and fired from from the high, the high from school band, <laughs> and so uh, the rest of my you were the Lisa Simpson kind of right? How she in the credits she gets <laughs> yeah, thrown out of the room for improvising. Yeah. Well, so my mother gave me a harmonica, and for the rest of high school, I would sit on the stairs that led to the band room and play harmonica along with my Walkman cassettes. And sort of purposely, like I was in the way of the music teacher, he'd always have to walk around me, and this was my way of still sort of sticking it to him. But I, I, she just happened to give me one, and it was something portable, and I was listening to a lot of Stevie Wonder, and saying, oh, I want to, what is that he's doing? And so I would play along, and that's how I started, and then I was encouraged. My mother said, you know, it's it's such a plaintive sound and it really matches like the way your voice is, which yeah. is really without frills and sort of vibrato-less. And it just seems like the most simplest sound. Uh, and that's what I wanted. Also, it's easier. I mean, clarinet, you know, you have to have this embouchure. And uh, I tried flute, but it was really hard to be in tune. And uh, bass hurt my fingers. And harmonica is almost like piano where, you know, you're just, it's in tune. It's, you know, hopefully. And you play chromatic? I play chromatic. You chose that over diatonic? Well, the, I had a diatonic one first, and I went to my mother and said, there's something wrong with this. It doesn't have all the notes. <laughs> <laughs> and so then she got me a chromatic one. And not that it's easy. I mean, harmonica is sort of uh, a strange instrument. You know, leaping, when you leap, you I'm always, like, have my fingers crossed. Am I going to land on the right note? I yes. hope so. I, we all know this feeling. I mean, you can't <laughs> see what you're doing. Yeah, but I guess if trombone players can do it, we can do it. We can do it, too. And I know you're a big Toots Thielman fan. Yeah, well, of course. And well, I I knew him. Be. I mean, I would see him at festivals, and I he was always very nice. I remember asking him, I said, you know, my harmonica got something stuck in it, and I need to know, like, how do you clean it? Because I took it apart, and I could never get it back together again. And he said, no, you have to send it to Honer, because there's a little rubber thing buffering the slide, you know, and a little spring, and they have a tool for that, and you, you can't really do that, and it, it doesn't cost much. And so he was really nice and gave me his card, and said, you know, to look him up when I was in Belgium. Of course, I never did, but... So you didn't take any proper lessons on harmonica from Well, toots. I tried. No, not from toots, but I did actually at one point take harmonica lesson 
with a guy who was like a film score guy. I think his name was Robert Bunfilio. Bunfilio, yeah. Yeah. And uh, it was hilarious. He told me I was doing it completely wrong. And this was after I'd made a couple of records. Um, and he tried to teach me his method, and I was just completely baffled and reduced to not being able to play at all. And oh, and then he gave me this speech about vibrato, and he said, Well, you know, vibrato is very important. I mean, could you imagine a singer? that sang with no vibrato, how horrible that would be. And I was thinking, that's how I sing. And so I never went back. Yeah. Well, Miles Davis never played with a lot of vibrato it on was, trumpet. He was just the wrong guy for me, you know? Yeah. And so, but it was interesting because I knew that I was doing it wrong, but then I, I, just, I just dug in and said, no, I can make this work, and I don't have to do it right. I mean, yeah, I'll never play super fast. But I don't want to play fast. Do you read music on it? Yeah. And so the one thing that's nice about chromatic is every octave is, is the same. See, I play diatonic, and you have to get the right uh -huh. keys, and, and it can uh -huh. be a real, uh -huh. you know, mind scrambler. Yeah. And doing all that transposition So what kind stuff. of, are you, do you play like blues? Or you I play blues, mm -hmm. and I play, um, I've played in an opera. I played in Grapes of Wrath, so I had to read. But that was more like being a glockenspiel player, because there were long periods of rest, right. followed by a three-note Mm -hmm. you know, um, figure. Mm -hmm. And so I had to learn to watch the conductor conduct in seven. I hadn't sat mm -hmm. on the other side of a conductor since I was in middle school myself. Mm -hmm. This was like three or four years ago. But it was a really awesome experience. Uh -huh. yeah. Wow. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think that chromatic, if you can, uh, you know, learn it, it, it just frees you up, you know, and you don't have to be quickly getting the other yeah. harmonica or it's something. It's a beautiful instrument, and the people who... I mean, to me, there's a group of people that sort of are the descendants of Toots. You know, nobody really plays like Stevie Wonder. And then you're kind of in your own universe with it. Mm -hmm. I mean, do you have a specific philosophy with it? Uh, yes. <clears throat> I was thinking about it recently because also with my piano playing, I mean, I don't have much technique, but I do have a certain sense of time and I have a sense of, space and I was thinking about harmonica uh, and like if I had a, a good night like I played a gig and I was like somehow the harmonica was just really working and I think it comes down to breath sometimes the breathing just seems right and it, it's just some sort of really organic thing where you feel good and and you're putting your feeling into that, you know, and you can play one note, but if you, the breath is placed correctly and, it, you know, just how much, how expressive it can be to blow gently and then blow more and then less. It's not even dynamics. It's, I don't know, maybe because I play organ and so I'm very aware of like the Leslie cabinet has a speaker that is spinning. And so I'm very aware of sound waves and how music is vibration. Um, and I, I sometimes uh, I get very moved by uh, just the vibration of, of the note. And unlike a lot of wind instruments, the, the thing that makes the note is really close to your, your body. Yeah. You know, there's a yeah. connection to it, I think, that other instruments don't quite have. 
And there's a limit. I mean, the thing about like having to inhale and exhale to get the note, it limits you, you know. So you so that affects how you play. Like you you can't just continue inhaling on a note indefinitely and so I don't know, it helps me choose what to do. I mean, if you're playing an organ, you could just play a note forever. Just hold your finger <laughs> down. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but there's that sure-footedness I hear in your playing. I, I I think there is like a certain understanding of harmony. Maybe that's just what I'm working on in my own musical mm-hmm. stuff. And I'm like, yeah, you really seem to know or have that that yeah certain well, quality to it. That well, I really like. I'm very deliberate. I mean, I yeah. have to admit that uh, I improvise, but I give it a lot of thought beforehand, and I study things, and I have an idea of how to approach that song. Um, and I, I, put in, I put in work into really thinking what the best path would be. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, change it as the mood moves me. But I tend to uh, be very... I mean, my mother instilled in me a certain sense of harmony, so I have... And it's not typical, you know, but I, it's very strong because I've been around it my whole life. You know, so. And I want to talk about the subject matters of your songs. To me, there's this, I guess you could say zen-like quality to it because they're about, a lot of times, kind of common, everyday things. Homeless people in the park So your latest record is Business is Bad. How do you go about choosing which common everyday things, if you even see it that way, firstly? but Well, it's all, it's true. It's real life. I write about whatever happened today or yesterday. And I love it, yeah. You know, I mean, uh, I usually write a song when I have a reason to. Like, um, I wrote a song called Con Edison. That's like the um, utility company in New York City. And it was because I hadn't paid my bills, and uh, I got my electricity turned off. And so I sat there, you know, in, with candlelight and wrote a song called Con Edison, which was like a, a spiritual, sort of casting Con Edison as God, like, please, Con Edison, I pray. I pray I'll be, I'll good, I'll be good and pay my bills from now on. If only you'll turn my electricity back on and... Um, and it was true, you know, that's what had happened. My magic pencil wrote this melody. My magic pencil was because I was having a hard time writing a song, and Carla got, gave me this pencil, and she said, It's magic, it's gonna work. All you have to do is put it to the paper, I promise. It's got special lead. And so, that's charming. There was the song. I mean, I don't really consider myself much of a poet or anything. I mean, it is all just ordinary stuff. But, I mean, it, the music is my way of uh, getting through things. Or It's really selfish. I mean, the song, I don't think, okay, what should I p- write for the people? I think of, you know, one of my, like, well, my cat just died. I think I'll write a song called Arnold's Dead, and then I can wallow in my misery Arnold for a Arnold got while. a lot of songs for- Arnold did, yes, Arnold was special. And so it seems to me, by your 
your method, if we want to even call it that. Like, there are subject matters for, for music and art and songs just kind of everywhere, and it's just just choosing at that time to, to yeah. let it come, let it flow, yeah. like they say. <laughs> but this song, Surviving You. Like a dream interrupted suddenly You are gone And now I'm not sure Were you ever really here? And where did you go? Don't leave me behind I thought we would so I was on the train a couple weekends ago Listening to it, I was reading a book And I was listening to your whole record And then I noticed And I have to not be reading right now I have to put my full attention on this song Surviving You It was so touching Wow Was it about anyone in spe- uh, any specific person? Well, it's interesting because When I was writing it Arturo O'Farrell's father Chico O'Farrell Who was a very famous band leader Arranger uh, he died. And so I was thinking about that. I was thinking about his wife, Lupe, who had been left behind and was devastated. And at the same time, I had just been working with Robert Wyatt, and he has a very close relationship with his wife, Alfie, and they're both, they were, they're getting older. And it was just making me think about sad, like when one person dies and the other one's left behind. Um I, I've been lucky not a lot of people close to me have died except Arnold. Um, so I was just thinking about that. And then I'm, me and Carla were sort of laughing because we were saying, okay, now this is going to be a big hit. You're finally writing some, about something that everybody can relate to because, you know, I don't have any love songs or anything. And so I thought, oh, this is great. This is universal. And I remember telling Arturo, like, maybe I could get, like, Luther... Vandross to record it and he said Karen it's about death I don't really think so it's depressing uh, surviving you getting Luther to sing yeah. I mean well, well ironically he is not alive so oh, an issue there. <laughs> well and then also uh, but I understand what you Elvis yeah. Costello yeah. I thought it would be a great oh, tune for Elvis Costello for him. so many people I don't know why nobody will record well, it no. Elvis if you're listening <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you you live in New York area. He must come through town every once in a while. Well, yeah. Robert Wyatt knows him. Okay, but I'm sure you have many connections. <laughs> and you've worked with Robert Wyatt, uh, formerly of Soft Machine, for how long? Well, he, I know him through my parents. He used my father, Michael Mantler, has made a lot of records with Robert Wyatt, starting in the '70s, and Carla also um, has worked with him as recently as. Uh, with the Liberation Music Orchestra, there was um, uh, in London they have a thing called the Meltdown Festival, and I think uh, there's a different uh, curator every year. And that year it was Ornette Coleman, and he, so they had Liberation Music Orchestra, and Robert Wyatt was a big fan of Charlie Hayden, and agreed to sing one of their songs, which was amazing because Robert Wyatt's in a wheelchair and never performs yeah. live. So that was, I forget, that might have been 10 years ago. So he's an old family friend. And I, so we always sent him my CDs when I made one and he would always encourage me. And then I don't know why he really liked the CD 
Farewell, which was a duo and really most disliked of all of my CDs. Nobody even knew it was out. And he wanted to make a record with me. And so this record that he made, Cuckoo Land, he actually included two of my compositions. And we did record Surviving You, but it didn't go on the record because he said he didn't want to record it before I had recorded it. He only wanted to do covers. Um, so that was an incredible experience for me. I learned a lot from him. He's he's a lot where my harmonica style comes from. He's very he also sings with no vibrato and very straight ahead, and he likes to whistle sometimes, which in a very plaintive way. Which Toots also did. Yes. Yeah. And then. You know, you've done harmonica stuff. You were nice enough to bring some CDs that are of your mother's. Setting Calvin's Waltz, you're playing harmonica on that one? Yeah, but these are very long pieces, so I don't know. They're... She sometimes writes these suites, and uh, back in those days with the big band, she had four main soloists, and so it would be like a story featuring these four people weaving in and out. And then sometimes I was sort of like the fifth soloist, and she'd write a little area for a small harmonica solo. So on setting Calvin's Waltz, you know, I would say that there's a three-minute harmonica solo on this 20-minute track, but beautiful, you know, like where the the whole band will be playing and then it comes way down to just piano, bass, and harmonica and then builds slowly back up. And on another record, uh, there's a piece called The Girl Who Cried Champagne. And um, that was very exciting, that band, because uh, the rhythm section was Victor Lewis on drums and Don Elias on percussion. And we were playing all this Latin music and I think I was like 20, and it was very difficult. Like, we were holding on for dear life, thinking, where's beat one? And so I play harmonica on one of these Latin tunes, but thankfully the slow section. looking around on YouTube for some of your music, and I ran across the episode of Night Music with David Sanborn from the late 80s. Oh, yeah, that was That fun. show was so good. that It had such an influence on me, because I was in high school then, and they would have musicians on that really weren't getting a lot of radio airplay. Yeah. Maybe some, but not much. But people that are, like, part of my musical, you know, diet, even now, like Todd Rundgren, Sun Ra... Was it the guy who messed with the records, Christian Marclay? All these people, I'm this high school kid, you know. So I learned, to me, what hip was and all these hip New York musicians. And I think I saw the episode when it first ran that you and your mother were on, but I think you guys were on later because I I watched, it's on YouTube now. Yeah, I've seen it. What's it like to go back in time? Well, what was great, I mean, that show was, uh, the musical director was this guy, Hal Wilner. And he was the one responsible for bringing together all these eclectic people. 
He's the musical director of Saturday Night Live, has been for a long time. But he's made a lot of compilation records, like themes, like the music of Thelonious Monk, and then he'll get, each track will be a different artist, and they'll do a completely unique take on that. He's done a bunch of these. He's really wonderful and responsible for bringing together people. And so him and Dave Sanborn were really doing a justice to all of us. And like that episode... On that episode was Alan Toussaint, who to this day is one of my favorite oh, writers yeah. of all time. Bootsy Collins, who, you know, always was a big fan of Funkadelic and George Clinton. Uh, if I'm ever in a bad mood. Yeah, that's my Bootsy. favorite party music. Do you have a good Bootsy story? I was hoping you would. Yes, it was hilarious. But it was great because we actually all played together. You know, like we each did our little segment, but at the end... We all played, like Carla did an arrangement of one of her pieces, and Bootsy was on it, and along with his background singers, Pretty Fat, they were called, and um, Hiram Bullock was on the show, and Dave Sanborn was playing. It was great, and I was playing organ, and there's a whole section that's instrumental before Bootsy's going to start singing, and he came up on the stage and he sat down on my organ bench and I was just beside myself <laughs> that he was sitting next to me. And he was just hilarious because he, even when the camera wasn't rolling, like he had the bass shaped like a bright blue star. He was wearing sunglasses that were shaped like stars that had flashing lights. And this was just, you know, just in the lunchroom. Out. Yeah. And uh, he was really, you know, he was sort of coming on to me. And I was, I felt like when he sat next to me How on the bench. How old were you at the time? I was in my, tw- I was 22 or something, in my prime. Okay. <laughs> and uh, I was just uh, really sh- shaking with, like, fear <laughs> or something. It was, was a, a lot of forward. fun. And he told a story on the, on the show, uh, you know, because Dave would interview the person. I don't know if that's on YouTube, but Dave was asking asking him about, you know, playing with James Brown. And then he started talking about, yeah, and I think we were on acid a lot of the time. And Dave was getting very nervous. (laughs) This was going on national TV and Bootsy's talking about acid. In the just say no days of the 80s. Yeah. Yeah. He's great. Is he? He's alive, right? Bootsy is. Yeah. What's he doing? I think he's doing. I saw him two or three years ago and he was fantastic. Just fan. Just love him. Just yeah. It was like I was grinning ear to ear the entire yeah. time. Well, I recently did a thing with Hal Wilner. He still puts on stuff, and and we did. Uh, me and Carla had done in London uh, a night of the music of Nina Rota, who wrote the music for the Fellini films, among other things. I did an arrangement of the music from The Godfather, featuring harmonica, and uh, Carla. Nina Rota write yeah that music. That's he right. Did, okay. Yeah. And so recently in New York City, we did a show, again, like uh, bringing together a bunch of esoteric people. Strumpet player Steve Bernstein wrote some great arrangements, and and me, and... How do you even approach something? The Godfather is such a... Well, it's like happy birthday. Well, no, but you know, there are a lot of... There's a lot of other parts to that song, like... uh, I forget... 
Padrone is another part that is less, uh, it's not just da 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 There is a whole of other section that's in the background of a lot of scenes. Da do do That's right, okay, yeah. And so I sort of wove all those themes together, and that main famous theme is the least played of the whole thing. Is there somewhere we can get a recording of that? Is that anywhere? Um... No, I don't really think that there's even a bootleg version online. No, no. But hopefully we'll do it again one day. You know, it was kind of a break from one Karen Mattler solo record to the other. Are you planning on taking an equally long break? Or this this one, yeah. Business is Bad, is about two years old now. Um, but do you think we'll get one sooner? Because... I I would love to hear one. Well, I hope so. I mean, that big break was because I was so disillusioned by having gotten signed by a major label and it being such a complete washout. Yeah. I made a great record. Nobody even knew it. And I, I you know, I got a little depressed and I said, what's the point? And the music business is very different now. And uh, sometimes I just feel like there's so much music. I mean, uh it's really a selfish pursuit. If I made a record, you know, it's just I finally had enough songs and I wanted to do it. And I, I had musicians I wanted to play with. But this record hasn't sold anything either. And there's no demand. So it I, probably won't I happen that it. soon. Well, thank I, you so I really much. Do. That means a lot. I, and so it seems to me that different artists have a different, there's so many different ways. It used to be. You know, make your record, you go on a label, distribution, you go on tour, you sell the record. That's not really the model anymore, but some artists, you know, are on a label. They're really huge, and then they put one out on the Internet, and that becomes like this big news story. And like, You know, but then other people release a lot of stuff on the Internet for free, or then other people, you know, it seems like with each artist there's a different business model now, which has got to yeah. be pretty confusing as an artist how to do that. I think it's really in flux right now, yeah. and nobody's really figured this out. And there is this issue of payment for you know content being distributed on the internet, but there are a lot of musicians yeah. working on that, and I guess it will come along. You know, it's just it's a totally different world. It is. Now. I'm kind of becoming a big fan of Bandcamp because uh-huh. so Rob Fetters, this singer songwriter guy in Cincinnati, he played with Adrian Ballou in the Bears, mm-hmm. and I stumbled on his latest record, which I totally loved. And so I was listening on Bandcamp, but you can only listen to it twice. And then it says, you, you got to pay. And so I paid for it. Mm-hmm. And Rob, you know, got his money. Yeah, and I know everyone a lot was of friends happy. who use that. Yeah, yeah. so I'm kind of thinking that yeah. seems to be a viable way to go. for it's the interesting. Yeah, yeah, for the non-major label yeah. signees, you know, yeah. <laughs> which is most musicians now. Yeah. But I know musicians who are professional who had, you know, they're kind of at that mid-level and they're not even wanting to make records because they're they're kind of got that what's the point Mm -hmm. attitude about it. I mean, for me, the point is that uh, if you want to tour and play gigs other than the bar in Brooklyn, you need something that you're promoting. You need something that's going to generate some press and some interest. Uh, and that's the time to hit. You know, the record comes out, you get some reviews, and then there's something for a booking agent to sell. Yeah. You know, and then kind of you can, because that's where you're going to making the money is performance. It's not going to be right. mechanical royalties. Like Carla is make. you know, she has a huge catalog, but the publishing money is less and less every year. 
and more and more she has to fill it in by playing live at 80. And she can't have a big band anymore. She has to have a trio because that's all anybody can afford, and that's how she can make a living. And her last few records, or many of her records, are live records, so it's kind of like you, you don't have to go into a studio and do everything. And That's the best way, particularly yeah. with the big band. You know, and the band is on the road. They've been playing it every night. And uh, to go into the studio is so expensive. And also you get a different sound. You know, it, that worked out well for several of her records, just that you have that energy that's happening. Yeah. yeah. Well, I hope the follow-up to business is bad. Maybe it's... Uh, <laughs> it'll be business is good no I don't want to put any ideas it's your, it's your thing but it's a wonderful record so everyone should give it a listen and it's been great to I've been a fan for so long and it's just great to, to hang thanks here. a lot yeah. yeah it was very easy to talk to you and then you have to tell me what song should we play out with that's your pick oh uh, let's see I think uh, it should be something I didn't write you should you should play How Insensitive from the Robert Wyatt CD. Is that Chobin? It is Chobin. Okay. Yeah. Wonderful Karen Mantler on Harmonicast joining us. By the way, that's from the album Cuckoo Land by Robert Wyatt. It's great to meet her in person, great to chat with her. Her website, by the way, it's wattextrawatt.com. It's W-A-T-T-X-T-R-A-W-A-T-T. Wattextrawatt.com is the website for the record label Watt and Extra Watt, which has Carla Blay stuff and, of course, hers. I've also provided a link on my website, bobkesslerharmonica.com. That is where you can go to contribute to the Kickstarter campaign so I can get my ass to Nashville and interview Charlie McCoy, Buddy Green, and Jelly Roll Johnson in the coming weeks. So thank you very much for your generosity, everyone. Thanks for all the support, all the nice emails I get. This is Harmonicast. I'm Bob Kessler, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>